So where exactly can you hear Tobacco Road Sports Radio? Oh, uh, North Carolina, Kernersville, Salisbury, you know what I'm saying, Burlington. I, 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 I didn't bring you Raleigh, Greensboro, Charlotte. For the best in live sports debate, live sporting events, and more, tune in to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Austin, North Carolina. Archdale. Out of the hold of Mesco. Good snap, good hold. And the kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. The pitch. Swing a long one. We are going to game number seven. A game-winning home run. He steps into it. Passes. Welcome to The Score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. TGIF. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, and AM1470 WW. Excuse me, getting choked up about it. WWBG here uh, in the triad. And one of the most viral members of the triad community this week. It's our head boss man, Desmond Johnson, host of the Believe in Charlotte Hornets and Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. We'll get to the fact that Tobacco Road Sports Radio and WWBG will be carrying Charlotte Hornets games momentarily. But first of all, Desmond, the podcast with Carolina Panthers that you are a part of, sir, is making the rounds for something that your, might I add, franchise all-time leading rusher co-host Jonathan Stewart noted about the Robbie Anderson situation. USA Today had it. Sports Illustrated had it. Everybody had it. The only person that wasn't talking about it was Stephen A., but that's because he already mentioned every town, city, and municipality in the entire state of North Carolina. They, they so, talked about it Monday a little bit. Uh, not the podcast, but they talked about the incident itself. So Right. But your, your specifically, your, your podcast is making the rounds. First of all, congratulations. Second of all, tell us what you and Jonathan and Skylar Hagallahan talked about, what Jonathan said that made Robbie Anderson's tiny, fragile ego even smaller. Well, well for starters, I need to correct you. I am not the host of the Believe in Charlotte Hornets podcast. Uh, That's incorrect. Wanna, my bad. I don't want to cut my man Sam Dracula short. He's He is the host of the Believe in Charlotte Hornets podcast along with Raymond Felton. Um, and they actually are on Tobacco Road. Whenever they drop podcasts, we usually run those in the afternoons during the weekday. So my bad. I thought yeah. you were on it because I know we ran it. So that's 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 my bad. Sorry, Sam. Yeah, Sorry, Raymond. That'd just be too much for the plate, probably. Uh, as if I don't bit. have enough on it already. Um, right. So Monday we do the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast for Believe Podcast Networks. Uh, during the season, we do two episodes a week. We do one on Monday that's a recap episode, and then we do one on Thursday that's a preview episode. And on this past Monday's episode, we were uh, recapping the loss to the the 24 to 10 loss to the Rams on the road uh, in which Robbie uh, 
basically bucked up to the wide receivers coach, Joe Daly, and uh, not once but twice, basically kind of embarrassed him on the sideline to the point where Daly felt it looked like he was going to try to fight him at the very end. They both had to be separated. Uh, Steve Wilkes eventually sends Robbie Anderson to the locker room, and within about 12 hours from that, Robbie Anderson gets traded to the Arizona Cardinals. Once he got traded, we actually taped that Monday show about 30 minutes after he got traded. So uh, the stuff that myself, uh, Jay Stu, and Skylar Callahan, who is the Panthers beat writer for Sports Illustrated, um, we all were in agreement. And I believe took like a minute clip out of a 38-minute long podcast um, and kind of titled it in a manner where it kind of sounded like he was talking derogatory towards Robbie. It wasn't so much that it was really more Stu was trying to give a, a, a teaching moment to the younger right. players in the league where it was like, there's going to be games where you're not part of the game plan. There's going to be games where you're not going to get the ball as often as you want, or uh, it goes away from you. You still got to act like a professional. Like what we saw on Sunday on the sidelines of uh, the Panther sidelines with Robbie Anderson, basically, I don't even see that at the high school level. Like you just, you're taught to not do that. Like you, you can't, uh, you can't show up your coach that way. Same way you can't go into work and and get in your boss's personal space with your fist balled up and expect to still have a job the next day. That was pretty much what Stu was saying. Um, it, uh, the clip hit Instagram and Twitter. Uh, myself and Believe, we put out promo clips after we were done with the episodes uh, to promote some traffic. And Believe posted it to their Instagram account, and Robbie Anderson saw it. So Monday night, he responded back on it, Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Basically, he was like, you know, keep my name out of your mouth. You're, you, you, I would expect this more if you came to me face to face, but you hopped on a podcast to do it for clout and yada, yada, yada. And Stu messaged me and Skylar. We have a group text chat and he messaged us Monday night and was like, hey, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently Robbie saw our episode or that clip at least. And he's he's mad at me online or whatever. And we're like, what? And we went to go look at it. And I told him, I was like, I, this is probably going to be viral by the time we wake up in the morning. And on Tuesday morning, I woke up to that clip being seen like 20,000 times and just on Instagram and uh, USA Today and Yahoo Sports and a couple other media outlets and actually picking it up uh, based on what Stuart said. But we all had said the same thing. Like, you can't act like that on a, a football sideline and expect to keep your job. And and what Stu, I think the thing that got uh, Robbie upset was that at the very end, Stu was saying, basically, you know, if it wasn't for Arizona needing wide receivers at this exact moment, you might be unemployed because uh, we have no doubt in our minds that the Panthers are going to cut Robbie Anderson if they couldn't find a suitor by the end of the day Monday. There's just no way you can bring him back to the team after that. Uh, so that was really all Stu was saying. And shout out to uh, Robbie Anderson because him doing that actually made the episode explode by causing people to come over to look. And once they watched or listened to the whole episode, they realized it wasn't all about dissing Robbie Anderson. It was about why my Panthers suck so bad right now and what they need to do to correct it. And uh, it, it just is what it is. So, I mean, it kind of, it happens in this world of uh, sports media where something like that can, can go down, but uh, no worse for wear for it. New episode out uh, just dropped yesterday. Matter of fact. So uh, you can go and listen to the preview for uh, Panthers versus bucks. And it was tell them why you're mad Thursday. So who knows what's in that, that episode. There's a lot of reasons why the three of you are probably mad. Uh, first of all, but let, let, let me clarify something that I said at the beginning of the segment when I posed the question to you, which was, yeah, this hurt Robbie Anderson's fragile ego. That's not because what Jonathan Stewart said was a diss. That's what Robbie Anderson took it as. Right. 
Because, because of, he, he probably didn't even listen to the whole episode. He probably only saw that clip. He only saw the clip. I guarantee you he only saw that clip, took it as a direct shot at him, and lost it. And you said it. The people that would listen to the full episode would realize that the conversation that you and Skyler and Jace do had and the entire centric point that Jonathan Stewart was making was that it doesn't matter what level of football you're at. It doesn't matter what matter what sport you're playing or what, what part of life you're in. You can't do that to a quote-unquote superior or a co-worker or anything like that, especially not on semi-national television when millions of people saw it. Especially when you're getting paid as much as Robbie Anderson gets paid to play a child's game of football. Like that to us, I think, was the main thing. It was like you can't conduct yourself in this manner uh, and just like Stu said, we're forward. It's like you are showing the entire world who you actually are in right. real time when you do that. And uh, hopefully Robbie learned from it. Um, Robbie Anderson was a Matt Rule guy. I played for him at Temple. Um, and it's starting to feel like they're trying to clear out the Temple Baylor guys off the roster, whether they're coaches, players, right. or whatever, just to get that out of there. Because a lot of those guys, to be honest, uh, look at the starting quarterback, P.J. Walker. He, he played for Matt Rule at Temple. I don't think he would be in the league if it wasn't for Matt Rule keeping him on the roster for the past no. three years. Like I just I don't feel like he would be. Uh he came from He was XFL. a product of the XFL, yeah. yeah. So and, and he has not shown any uh reason to believe he can blossom into a, a, a competent backup quarterback. And he's been named the starter for this Sunday for uh, against Tampa Bay, who are having their own problems right now. So we'll see. We'll see if they change the game plan because the one they came out with last week was horrific. Um and the Rams figured it out in about a quarter, and we never changed. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens when they go see Terrific or Tom Terrific uh, down in Tampa on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll have a few words about Tom um, later on in the program. Um, I'll have a few words. They may be choice, but they won't violate any laws or anything like that. So that's good to know. That yes, that's good for you to know because that's yeah. your that's that's more on your rear end on the line than it is mine. Uh, let's transition to the other end of the city. Um, let's go from South Mint Street to uh, the corner of Trade and Tryon, uh, and let's talk about the Charlotte Hornets opener uh, Wednesday night against the San Antonio Spurs, an offensive explosion. And if you had Nick Richards as team leading scorer in the season opener. I would also like you to give me the winning Powerball number for tonight because no one had that, but Nick Richards blossomed before our very eyes in the Alamo City the other night, Desmond. You know, it's crazy, too, because I've been hearing a lot of talking heads, uh, even local talking heads, basically going on and on about why should we be excited about the Hornets this year, basically burying them for dead before the season even starts. I've always felt like this Hornets roster, the way it's constructed right now, is a 7-8 seed when fully healthy, uh, anywhere from six to eight in the East. And I know they didn't really do a whole lot in terms of bringing in new players this year. It was more uh, guys getting arrested than anything else. But Yeah, it's been a bad year for Charlotte sports, uh, for sure. But, um, A, that San Antonio team is the youngest team in the league. Their, their average age is like 23 years old. So right. uh, there's that. And, B, the Hornets, they didn't need to bring in more guys. Like, they already have. Uh, that was a problem that was last night that Steve Regier was talking or Steve uh, Clipper was talking about. They had uh, multiple guys in double-digit scoring last night. They had right. – uh, I'm trying to find it here. They had six others scored in double figures last night. I've always felt like this roster didn't need to add on a, a superstar. They have that in LaMelo. 
they just needed to grow together. They needed right. some time to play together because they're young themselves. I think the, the Hornets' average age is like 25. So, I mean, uh, I've said it before. People kind of laugh at me when I say it, but I still believe it to be true. This Hornets roster reminds me of 2012, 2013 Golden State. Uh, before they had really blossomed to what they are now, uh, they had a bunch of mismatched parts, but they were young. That was they still had Monta Ellis on that team, but they uh, they had a core. They had a core uh, at that point. It was Steph in like year two. Clay Thompson, I think, was a rookie. Draymond Green was a rookie, uh, and that's second, what that's what we have here. We have right. a, there's there's a core that's present, right? And we just need to let them play together. Like, why do we necessarily have to go get a Jimmy Butler or a, a Giannis or someone where or a Donovan uh, Mitchell? Something like, yeah, I mean, we don't need that particular. We need to let LaMelo grow as a leader of this team. We need to let guys like Kai Jones and Nick Richards, like, play. Like, we need to know what we have. Mark Williams, our first-round selection, they need to play. They are young, and Steve Clifford might actually be the best guy for this young team, teaching them how to play defense and play the right way, yada, yada, yada. I think in the, the Southeast, it's it's a winnable conference, to be honest. Miami's in there, but other than that, Atlanta, Washington, Orlando – it's not exactly like a murderer's row of teams in this no. in this comp- or in this division. So I mean, it, it's if the Hornets can stay healthy, they're, they're much better when they have Gordon Hayward on the floor than not. And I know people are, are worried because they don't have Miles Bridges this year, and he had a breakout year last year. But they all forget the reason why Miles got all that time is because he was playing in place of Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward right. was starting small forward, not Miles right. Bridges. He was coming off the bench. So right, our starter returns. Uh, we didn't have Lamelo last night. He had a sprained left ankle, uh, or not last night, Wednesday night. He had a sprained left ankle, so he'll be back. Uh, they did add Dennis Smith Jr. towards the end of the offseason, which I like that pickup. Terry Rozier uh, entering into the extension of his deal. This isn't a bad team. It's no. not a bad team. They they lost a lot last year because they were they were missing players. If they can stay healthy, I think they're going to be a hard out, and they're already one of the more exciting teams to watch in the NBA. So just keep an eye on the Hornets. They're not exactly chop liver like a lot of people would have you to believe and you said that the southeast division is not a you know it, it's not a gauntlet and you know I, w- I would put charlotte at the bottom of the top three there but i would put them in the top three probably slightly below atlanta and atlanta and charlotte below miami miami's the best team in that division i don't think that's up for debate but you know charlotte and atlanta aren't <clears throat> excuse me aren't that much farther off and the points you made are all fantastic. And yeah, people should keep be keeping an eye on them and an ear on them. Actually, they can keep both their ears on them on this very station. Uh, beginning November the 6th, I believe. Uh, November 2nd is our first game uh, on WWBG that we'll be broadcasting for them. It's uh, now an 8 o'clock tip-off against the Chicago Bulls. So so uh, our, our good friend Sam Farber, he'll be on the call. Um as uh, on the uh, Hornets Radio Network, you can hear it right here on WWBG and Uh But back to uh, the matter at hand. Uh, again, it came out earlier in the week that uh, James Booknight was arrested. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, for DUI and was found. Um, I don't know if the verbiage was asleep or unconscious. It was one or the other uh, with a firearm. So again, not not the finest off season for. Um, police reports involving Charlotte Hornets players, but even whatever happens with James Booknight aside, you touched on the fact that there were multiple guys in double figures last night. And I heard everywhere, everybody, every outlet Steve Clifford talked to, 
in his preseason rounds. The number one thing he talked about in all 15,000 interviews he did was, we want this team to be top 15 in defense and top 10 in offense, but we want each to be balanced. That's balanced scoring. And the one thing, Des, is you know, this team has not had, since Steve Clifford left and didn't really have towards the end of his first tenure, was not just a defense, but interior defense and perimeter defense. And those were two things I saw executed very well. Nick Richards did not just do everything well offensively. He played very well down low defensively. Yeah, I'm going to be kind of waiting for uh, th- that crop of big men they've been drafting over the past three years to finally get into the rotation, and we started seeing it uh, open at night with uh, with Nick Richards' play. Um, P.J. Washington had 17 points. Uh, they just If they can do that, uh, they shot 45% from three. They shot 51% from the field. That, those are good numbers. Those are good numbers. Right. Now, granted, again, they were playing San Antonio, and San Antonio is in the Victor Wimbayama sweepstakes at this point uh, in terms of – they're just a super young team. Uh, they kind of traded off all their assets to kind of to, to position themselves for the future. Uh, speaking of book night, though, he played 10 minutes on Wednesday. Um, it, so the police released the details of his it was a DUI arrest or DWI arrest. Uh, he was found. They say unconscious. Basically, he was asleep. He was asleep. He was asleep. He was, he was asleep. Uh, he was passed out in the car. Uh, he was holding a handgun uh, with his vehicle in drive. Uh, so a happy that he decided to not drive. Uh, right, a parking garage, and my understanding is that the parking garage attendants were trying to wake him up by knocking on his car windows, and he just would not move. So they had to call the police because he was blocking the entryway or something to the garage. So that's why they were even there. Uh, North, the state of North Carolina, it's not illegal to open carry a a gun. So uh, he has a pending concealed carry permit. So he was not charged for possession of a gun. Uh, right. He was just charged for the DWI. It'll be a misdemeanor of some sort. He'll pay some sort of fine, and he'll be fine. Like I said, he played Wednesday night, so he's right. with the team and he's playing. Right. Um, so I think that's going to become more of a non. Uh, that's going to be a, a, a much more of a non-story than uh, Miles Bridges pending to be criminal trial for what's a, a, if not one felony, I think there's multiple ones on there. But again, that's that that's beside the point. The important thing to note here is that. Everything we've wanted from this Hornets team happened Wednesday night. This is the, again, I get the opponent, but ideologically, everything that Steve Clifford wants for this team and everything that we as fans and people that cover the team and watch the team wanted was a complete performance from everyone that got on the floor. Not uh, not like in some past games and some past years, where guys were out there simply to be getting minutes to fill money on a contract. Everybody that was out there Wednesday night made some kind of impact, made some kind of play that helped the team win. They weren't just out there taking up space. Right, and that's by design. And that's what I was saying. They remind me of 2013 Golden State where they were kind of a sixth seed, seventh seed in the West. Uh, they hadn't really established who they were yet. They just needed a couple years to grow, and they needed the right coach. And that was when uh, Mark Jackson was let go. Steve Kerr came in. Uh, you kind of finish off the roster. You get Monta Ellis out of there so Steph can blossom. Just stuff like that. That's kind of where they are uh, in Charlotte, where eventually I could see them having to move some pieces just to, to allow other pieces to grow. The whole Miles Bridges thing, like he's not coming back here. And I think last night showed that uh, 
they don't really need him. Exactly. Uh, what, what they what they want to do now? Are we and especially they don't need to sign into a max deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, he does, he's not going to get a max deal now from anybody, but right. Uh, he will be in the NBA eventually. That's not, it won't be in Charlotte. Like he will not be in a Charlotte Hornets uniform ever again. And I can't say that I want him in one if what he did, if he did what he is accused of doing. But go ahead. Right. Um, but no, that's it. I mean, basically, we'll just keep an eye on the Hornets, see how they do. It's an early part of the season, but uh, I I don't agree with the assessment that these Hornets have nothing to. to to show to the public or that they should tank or anything like that. Anytime I hear somebody mention professional athletes tanking, I just shake my head because they're not wired that way. That's not no. their thought process. And most of these front offices aren't wired that way either. And you're talking about a front office that's owned by Michael Jordan. You think they're going to try to tank an NBA season for one player? That's not how it works. So if you're running around saying those kind of things, then maybe you should reevaluate, you know, what you do <laughs> because that that's just not, that's just not how it works, and there's too, they're too good of a roster to even attempt to tank anyway. So, If you thought Michael Jordan's competitive juices had left him in ownership, look at what happened this year with, uh, with Toya, his, his race team. He swapped driver numbers so that Bubba Wallace could enter Kurt Busch's car because he knew Kurt Busch was going to be done for the season pretty much so that Bubba could drive the car that was more eligible for the owner's championship than Bubba's car. The 45 was better finishing than the 23. So, yeah, Michael Jordan switched his drivers so he himself could win an owner's championship. Don't don't sit here and tell me Michael Jordan wants to tank or not win. Or yeah, no. He wants to win. Uh, you know who else wins all the time? That's Desmond Johnson. He wins at, like, everything he does ever. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. All right, when we come back, Steve Wiseman uh, joins us to talk uh, what was an eventful Duke-UNC football game. Uh, last Saturday night for Wallace Wade Outdoor Stadium and uh, what the outlook is for the Tar Heels and for this ahead-of-schedule Duke program under Mike Elko. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com and AM1470 WWBG across the triad. One and only Steve Wiseman joining us to break things down from what was, let's just call it what it was, an eventful Saturday night last night at Wallace Wade Outdoor Stadium and a game between North Carolina and Duke that, that Larry Frank and I touched on on the importance of last week uh, in terms of divisional standing. But aside from that, of course, you're playing for the Liberty Bell. This game, Steve, was nothing short of pretty much everything we expected it to be, I think. Um, But it came down to a few decisions late that really decided things, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is the one time when the Duke-Carolina football game delivered. Um, normally, it's basketball we talk about, right? But this was right. a great game. This was a great game. This is right a fantastic game of college football, period. Yeah, back and forth, great atmosphere. I mean, it was sold out. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. So, um, Duke students there in full force, so that was good. A lot of ter- a lot of Tar Heel fans in the stands, of course. That's what you're going to have, but that was great. So, um, yeah, I mean, Duke, uh, you know, did, did a lot of things well in the game, frankly. Uh, they – they knew they were going to give up some points because Drake May is really good. That's the first time I'd seen him in person. 
and uh, everything I heard about him turned out to be true. He's very accurate. He's he's quick on his feet. He makes good decisions. It's not like he's a – I can't believe he was playing high school football a year ago. I mean, that's just incredible. So um, uh, good for him. And uh, he made two two-minute drives at the end of the half, one at the end of the half, one at the end of the game, got touchdowns both times. And that's why Carolina won, frankly. He, he made the plays to get them there. Duke had some mistakes. They had some penalties. Um, most of them were, were good calls. There are a few that weren't, but that's the way it goes. There were some calls that weren't made that probably should have been made. But, again, that's that's college football, and that's uh, that's the way the referees are. Nobody's perfect. And uh, so um, – but, but mostly this was a competitive game again, and that's where – it hasn't been for the last two years where Carolina just rolled them uh, just like everybody else did. Everybody else rolled Duke in the ACC. This was a competitive game again, which is just shows the, the progress that Duke's making under Mike Elko. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you, you touched on the two or three calls that may or may not have been good. And I was going to ask you about those, but I think they've been talked about enough at length. Um, you know, if, if we were to sit here and dwell on them, we'd be here all day because there were – there were a few that were, shall we say, questionable, but they didn't determine the outcome of the game. You touched on on Drake May, and I've seen people even calling for him to win the Heisman. I don't know about that, but that might be too soon as of right now, but there's people like Max Duggan aren't getting talked about enough from TCU, but again, that will, I'll get into that later. Um, the things you said about Drake May are spot on. And and I saw his first start up close and in person as as a, as a fan, um, uh, up in Boone. And you're right; he does not look like a kid that was playing high school football a year ago. The decisions he's making, both inside the pocket and outside the pocket, the intelligence he plays with, the intangibles, the ability to make plays outside of the pocket, to make you know cross body difficult throws, the reads he makes at the line of scrimmage. He's very, very intuitive and very, very intelligent. And on top of that, just makes plays that a lot of guys, even at this level, simply can't make. He's completed 70% of his passes, 70, 24 touchdowns, three interceptions in seven games. I mean, that's that's really good. That's, I don't care who you are. That's really and the, good. And The biggest go stat to me, especially for a young quarterback, is the three interceptions. Right. He's... He's doing all this stuff outside the pocket, doing all these Rodgers, Mahomesian kind of things, but he's taking care of the football. Yeah, and I know you know uh, Duke's plan coming into the game was to try to you know give him some um, some confusing looks on defense, some exotic exotic blitz schemes, that kind of stuff, and see if they could confuse him because he's a freshman. Obviously, that didn't happen, and also you know to send send a lot of blitzes at him, uh, including like on the the uh, what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown pass? Right, they threw a blitz at him, and and uh, Elko said, "Hey, we had a guy in open field heading right toward him, and he stepped aside and made the pass." Like, there's not much you can do. You tip your hat, right? I mean, that's a right. great play. So, yeah, so he he's he's fantastic for that. Now, when you look at this from the Duke perspective, this this is not an all is lost kind of thing. I mean, when you're able to put up the points that they did and. You know, it, it was kind of a continuance of what's been um, a really fantastic upward trend offensively for Duke. 
Um, we know North Carolina's defense is still not where it needs to be, but uh, I think from the Duke perspective, no, there is no such thing as a moral victory, but you go into not just this week, but the rest of the season telling yourself, hey, we were two or three plays away from beating Carolina. Yeah, and Carolina, you know, let's face it, they they better win the Coastal. They're, they're better than anybody else in that division at this point. Right. So. Um, that, that tells you how close Duke was, though, right? And uh, we've said it a few times. I have. I've written it. I, I've talked to people about it. That just the fight and the resili- resiliency this team shows this year that was completely absent the last two years. Right. Uh, and, you know, they're down, they're down 10 points in late in the third quarter. They turn the ball over on downs. Carolina's going in to score again to go up by, you know, 13 or 17 points. And Duke's defense gets a stop and gets a sack, and they force a long field goal that was missed, and the offense goes right down and scores. So, and then they, they end up taking the lead. I mean, that's just a fight that that was missing, and that Elko's you know program El- Elko staff has brought to this program, and yeah, that falls into the moral victory thing, but it also shows you what they're all about now. I mean, uh, it's two weeks in a row at the Georgia Tech game; they were down twenty to six with eight minutes to go, and they forced overtime. They ended up losing, but again. Those games would have been 42 to six last year. So um, when you go forward in the rest of the season, that shows you how determined and uh, how hardworking they are to try to reach their goals. And they are internal inside the program. They are, they are des- desperate to get to six wins and get to a bowl game. They think they've put the work in the offseason to do it. It's something that at the start of the year I didn't think was possible because uh, they were so bad the last two years. But they've shown that of the remaining five games, there's a couple of them they can maybe get. I'm not sure Saturday at Miami is one of them, but there are a couple out there that can get Duke to six wins. And if they get back to a bowl after what they went through, you know, losing 17 of the 18 ACC games the last two years, it really shows uh, a great job done by this staff to turn this program around. And and you said it, we and we talked about it over the summer. You know, the, the first time we chatted after uh, after ACC Media Day back in July about you know the 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 biggest idea here was not necessarily to change things overnight in terms of wins and losses, but to change the culture. And right. the change in culture, in turn, has changed things in the in the win-loss column. Yeah, and usually it doesn't happen that quickly, uh, especially when, you know, Elko took over a program that the talent level was, you know, didn't appear to be very high, right, considering the, the outcomes on the field. But he's, he's, but he's found a way to, to change some schemes and, and just, you know, this team plays with more confidence. Uh, and, and last year, you know, they get behind, and next thing you know, they're down by 40. And uh, they don't have that going. And also, the progress that Riley Leonard has made from spring to fall camp to now yeah. is dramatic. Um, even Elko and the staff didn't think when he was, you know, last spring he was capable of what he's doing now with running the ball, with protecting the ball, not, not turning it over. We mentioned Drake may not turn it over. Leonard's not doing it either. And again, after the last two years when Duke had 60 turnovers in, over the two seasons, 60 in two seasons, uh, they're way better in that in that department this year. And there are multiple games this year I think you could turn to, and there are points of these games where you can say, this is a point last year where Duke would have, would have rolled over and, and waved the white flag and played dead, or... This is a situation in which Duke would have coughed up the football. This is a situation in which there would have been some undisciplined penalties. Those kinds of things aren't happening, and they didn't happen in the Carolina game. I know they didn't win the football game, 
and I know that moral victories don't exist, but when you look at it from a Carolina perspective, from a Duke perspective, I think Carolina went into this game expecting they could win. Not that Duke mm-hmm. didn't, but I think from the Duke perspective, you view it as we're a lot better off coming down the stretch here, playing how we did in this game, taking care of the football, taking multiple punches in the throat from that North Carolina offense and not flinching. It's the resiliency aspect of it that you can really take forward. Yeah, and then so you look at the, at the schedule, and after they play Miami, you know, they get their open week. Then they go, they go to Boston College, and they have Virginia Tech at home. Now, if Duke keeps playing like they are, those are two teams they should beat. Right. And again, saying there's a team that Duke should beat in the ACC schedule is brand new over the, over the last two years. But that's where they are now because they've proven that this resiliency wasn't just a one game thing. I mean, it wasn't like they, you know, when they got behind at Kansas uh, the, the first time they lost, they, they came back, they had the ball at the end with the chance to, for a touchdown. They're down by eight and had the ball and they got down to the 30. So um, they kept fighting. They got right back in there. Same thing I mentioned Georgia Tech and, and, uh, and Carolina. So um, it, it's a trait that's that's there for real. And you, you're talking about Virginia Tech team that's really struggling. They got a new coach. You know, what kind of mood are their players going to be in, in in November when they're right now they're two and five? They could be two and six, two and seven by then, right? They're heading for a losing season. BC is, is a struggling program as well. I know that's up there. It's on a Friday night. Uh, but but those if Duke can get those two, which frankly they should, uh, th- that's six wins. And then, you know, they play Wake and Pitt to end the season. Then, you know, they're going to be uh, heavy underdogs in both of those games. This Saturday's game, they're eight, nine-point underdog against Miami. So that's a tough one. But I'm not saying they can't go down there and win, but it's, it's a tough one. But anyway, so – yeah, that, that resiliency and fight will, will help them going forward and maybe maybe reach their goal. Hey, Steve, if Middle Tennessee State can go down to Miami and put up, what was it, like 45 points on the Hurricanes, the, the any given Saturday argument would apply in this as well. But uh, everything you said right there is spot on. Yeah, no, Georgia Tech is not the Georgia Tech of old. No, Virginia Tech is definitely not the Virginia Tech even of the past couple of years. So from NC State's, excuse me, from Duke's perspective, um, when things are going the way they are right now, um, Carolina looking across town, does it really feel like the top dog? Well, they of course they feel like the top dog because they won the football game, but you know, it, it, there's there's no longer comfort in terms of the rivalry. It, it's 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 become more even, and Saturday night made that even more evident. Yeah, we're we're back to where we were. I mean, for for now, um, you know, during that stretch of, of Cutcliffe's time when when Duke won, you know, five out of seven games against Carolina, they he took advantage of Everett Withers and uh, Larry Fedora. <laughs> and then right. when Matt came back, they haven't lost since Matt came back. But but even in 2019, the game over in Carolina came down to the end, and Duke tried that ill-fated halfback option pass to win the game Oof. on the goal line, and uh, that was the end of that. But uh, but again, that was a competitive game, right? Right. The last two years have not been 38 to seven and 52 to 24, something like that. So um, yes, there's a different feeling now, and I think going forward now next year when when Carolina looks when they have to play Duke. It's not going to be, oh, yeah, that's one we can win by four touchdowns. Right. And 
I, I want to ask you this because this is the part that's most interesting to me, especially after seeing what the atmosphere was like in that stadium on on Saturday night. What is the vibe like? Chapel Hill versus Durham as far as the states of these two programs right now? Well, Carolina, I mean, they feel confident they have a higher ceiling for sure. They've got, you know, a, a, you know one of the better quarterbacks in the country, uh, and they keep um, bringing in highly rated recruiting classes. And eventually you keep expecting it to pay off in a big way. And, you know, they, um, they're – they should go to the ACC championship game this year. They won't beat Clemson, but they're going to go uh, in right. the last year of the Coastal. So <laughs> last year of divisions, period. Yes, right. We're done with that. Um, we're but, done with uh, it that's, once and for all. That, that would be a, a big accomplishment for them. They, you know, they feel like they're better. They, you know, Mac Brown is the coach, and whoever long he's going to be there, they feel like they'll be able to attract a great successor to him, whoever it may be, and whatever that may happen. Uh, whereas Duke's program is is kind of building back up and uh but they feel confident they've got the right guy in elko he's the, the work he's done so far to energize the students to come out to games and you know uh re reinstill some confidence in the program that was just you know devoid of it the last couple of years uh they feel like they're back on the right path too and not to maybe to win the coastal next year or anything like that but they should be back in contention to play in a bowl game every year that that's that's all you should ask for at duke is to be able to play in a bowl game every year and every once in a while, pop off eight, nine win season, like like what Wake Forest is doing these days. Right, and in Wake Forest, the expectation was to was to make a bowl game every year. You know that was the expectation there for uh, Jim Grobe's entire tenure, and for the uh, first you know majority of uh, Dave Clawson's first five six years. But expectations have been raised there so much, and then when you look at the flip side to Duke, who I might add, Mike Elko was a member of that Wake Forest staff, so he takes part of that mentality with him. Um, when you when you flip it over to the Duke side of things, um, if anything, I think Duke might be ahead of schedule. And when, that's the loudest I've heard that football stadium maybe ever uh, the other night, uh, just watching it on TV, and I can only imagine how loud it was for you up there in the press box. But... Um, <laughs> Just to, to to have that place energized again, or, or really at all, um, when it's been void of of energy and void of hope and void of passion for the better part of two and a half three years, I don't think anybody expected it to happen this quickly. So I, I, it's safe to say a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of the culture change, but also ahead of schedule in terms of the success of the team that you said it, the possibility exists. This team could go play for a ball, play in a bowl game. Yeah. And again, at the start of the year, I, I'm sure it was on your show. I remember saying, you know, if they win three or four games, but they're competitive in the losses like Saturday night, then that's That is progress. But they're beyond that. Like they really, they really should beat Boston college and, and Virginia tech. I mean, they'll, they'll have messed up if they don't, because those teams are very beatable right now to get them to six wins. So, Yes, uh, the culture change has been quick, and uh, uh, again, he's he's energized the community and the the student community in particular to get the students out there like that. Um, you know, it reminded me of the game. It was ten years ago. Uh, Duke beat Carolina. Uh, Jamison Crowder made a catch in the final seconds, uh, and Duke won, and that that made them bowl eligible. It was a Saturday night game at at uh, 
at Wallace Wade before it was renovated. And that's like the last time it was this loud on a Saturday night game. And, and Duke played really well. They've had other crowds like that over the last 10 years when they were, they were a pretty good team, but they kept laying eggs. They, they, they lose, you know, very uh, badly to Miami and Virginia Tech. They had some big crowds for those games. But this was one where the atmosphere reminded me of that game when, when Crowder made that catch and Duke clinched bowl eligibility for the first time since 94. And uh, so that's what Elko wants to do. And uh, I know that uh, he obviously this this roster he kind of inherited, except for a few transfers. So he knows this isn't the group, the, the type of talent he wants. He thinks he's going to get better. And and it'll be like Wake Forest. It'll be, you know, if they if they go out and win seven, eight win, get games a year, Three or four years in a row, they'll start thinking about winning. You know, going to the going to the championship game, not winning the division, going to the championship game. Right, and at a certain point, it becomes it's not it doesn't it's not a thought, it's not a pipe dream. Uh, it becomes an expectation, and and I don't think Duke is is far off from that, especially not this year. That's right. They've they've shown that that, that the path is there for them to. I mean, again, he'll follow kind of what Clawson has done, and he was part of over at uh, at Wake. And I might add, Steve, before we let you go, for the the ACC isn't a football conference, people. You're you're I I forget if you are this year or not, but you had, in recent years have been an AP poll voter. Please name I me am. the you are this I am year for football. Yeah. <laughs> so name me the only division in any conference in college football, Group of Five or Power Five, <laughs> that contains at least four ranked teams in the AP poll. That's the ACC Atlantic. Very good job. That's <laughs> Wake Forest. That's Clemson. Uh, that's uh, NC State and Pitt. So, yeah, there you go. Not Pitt. No. Not Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse, that's right. Yeah. Pitt's not ranked anymore, I don't think. Anyways. No, and Pitt's in the Coastal. So Pitt's in the – yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be glad when these divisions are done. But anyways. You have to worry the about AC- that. The ACC is successful in football, and it's not just Clemson or not just Florida State this time. And Steve Wiseman, um, is his voting is a big – I'm just kidding. Steve Wiseman. <laughs> I didn't vote all, for NC State. I have to say I didn't vote for NC State. You did not vote for NC State. Okay. I think they're, they're State. dropping out. So. Yeah, the uh, Devin Leary thing is going to bite him in the, in the rear end, I think, yeah. a little bit here. Yes. But uh, anyway, Steve – uh, Mr. ACC Football, I guess that's what we'll call him. Thanks so much, brother. We really appreciate it. All right, man. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. When we come back, uh, I'll tell you why Tom Brady said something that should never be uttered ever and why it was a terrible idea after this. Welcome back to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Welcome back to The School with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. It's Brett Wiseman. It's Mr. Will Higdon with us uh, to round out this TGIF Friday. And, uh, Will, we'd be remiss if we just completely ignored the idiocy of what came out of Tom Brady's mouth. Uh, on his podcast earlier in the week. In case you missed it, 
uh, America's favorite quarterback, the Golden Boy, decided to go out and say that f- football season is like a military deployment. And I, and I'll and I'll read you the the direct quote here. It says, "I treated football season like a military deployment," and I quote, "It's like." Oh man, here we go again. What? <laughs> Did what? Should have re- retired last year, Tom. <laughs> I'm I'm so beyond baffled by by the entire concept that someone could a think that b it it would it would come out of the man's mouth. Someone we thought was a lot better than that, you know. I but, think I think a lot of it has to do with he's. I know he's going through a lot in his personal life, especially with between like him and Giselle. I right. think I think a lot of that has finally started to boil over, especially and combine that with how the season for the for the Tampa Bay has gone. It's really, it's just all starting to come out right now. Right, and I. I Look, that's a great point, is that there might be a fair amount of this frustration with how Tampa Bay is playing, which uh, directly impacts the Carolina Panthers this weekend. But I, I think there's a good deal of that that might be coming out in this in this quote. That being said, this is not a comparison that can be made, however it's worded, however it's construed. This Agreed. is not a com- this is not a comparison that should be made under any circumstances, but it's been made. And I don't think enough people are talking about this because of who said it. Yeah, a lot of people just say, oh, Tom Brady being Tom Brady, that's who he is, but... um. No, I mean, there's a big difference. One is purely for entertainment, and the other is very important that defends the country. Right. Tom, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play football. Yeah, I get it. It's a violent sport. Tom, you're getting paid millions of dollars, not an hourly wage and a a benefit to go to college when you're done. You're playing a sport. You're not stepping over explosives. You're not getting shot at. You're not flying a plane. He's not on a ship. You're not on a ship. You're not crawling through dirt and grass and mud and desert sand and eating cardboard that's passed off as food. You're not driving a Humvee. You're Tom Brady. The fact that that thought would even enter your mind proves just how selfish you are and how selfish we all know you've been and why everything, Tom, is only about you. The only reason you came back is because you couldn't stand to be at home with your kids. (laughs) Am I wrong? And now you're getting divorced. Because you are the most selfish prick on the entire planet right now. This furthers it. 
Yeah, I get it. You're the greatest quarterback of all time. That doesn't make you any less of a selfish prick, Tom. I'll leave it at that. As for his Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Will Higdon, um, they faced the Carolina Panthers this weekend. Talked a little bit about it with uh, with Desmond Johnson. There's no Robbie Anderson anymore, so good riddance. Scheme wise, you would think that would open a door for somebody named Lavishka Chenault or Terrence Marshall Jr. Yeah, I think I think Anderson was a guy they needed to move on, move on from. They even said that he was on the trade block for almost a year at this point. I do re- really want to get those younger guys involved. I want to see more of Chanel. I know he's still dealing with that injury, but I really hope hope that he's healthy and we'll want to see him in this game. And same thing with Terrace Marshall. He's barely seen the field, even at even this year or last year. I really don't know why. I think he's he's shown flashes. He can be a solid number number two or number three on this team. Of course, the only problem is they don't have a quarterback that can get them the ball right now. Right. They don't have a they, – they have three quarterbacks, which means they have none, right? They were down to Jacob Eason against the Rams, who, is, who would technically be the fifth-string quarterback. Right. If, if we were at the start of this whole thing. The good news is – the very good news is – Sam Darnold, if anyone ever thought that was good news, Sam Darnold's been designated to return from IR. The fact that we're to the point that that's good news. It shows the state of the Panthers right now. Exactly. It's the state of the franchise. But Steve Wilkes, I feel like when he, as we think, had his come-to-Jesus meeting with, uh, with Ben McAdoo, we saw it last week. They the started biggest, off. They started the, off well. Right, the biggest part of the game plan that worked was the fact that the ball was in Christian McCaffrey's hands a lot more often. Yeah, but then the Rams, they started figuring it out. They started adjusting to it, and they just started shutting them down. Right, and this this is where we've been harping on it for weeks on this show that Christian McCaffrey needs the ball more, but we've also harped on the fact that there needs to be a balance. Now, I get it. It's J- it's Jacob Eason or P.J. Walker. Or now Sam Darnold would be thrown into that mix, but he's not starting. You have to find that balance. You have to have that run set up the pass. And without the right quarterback, that option simply doesn't exist right now. No, not at all. And it was, it was pretty obvious watching that Rams game that Ben McAdoo did not trust P.J. Walker at all. I mean, they, they wouldn't let him throw downfield really at all. Even... Even the one times he did try to throw like intermediate passes, they were pretty off target. Right, and not that Sam Darnold would be any you know wildly more accurate than Baker Mayfield or or PJ Walker at this point. But uh, before we move on here, real quick, I think the key to this game, of course, the defense is going to be relied upon, but you have to be able to get Christian McCaffrey involved in screen game. You've got to get him involved in the short pass game. You have to get DJ more involved in the short pass game. It's going to be a lot like what new age offenses like in in Green Bay or Kansas City or LA do. The little, you know, college style two yard, two inches forward shovel passes that looks like a jet sweep, but it's actually a pass. Those kind of little things that Green Bay uses to get Aaron Jones involved. That Kansas City uses to get Mecole Hardman or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire involved. Uh, 
uh, the way the Rams used their fullback, whose name is like 18 letters, and I can't remember. Um, you've got to get creative, but you can't risk throwing the ball more than 10 yards. But you've still got to be able to throw the football. Yeah, they need to be. They need to run to set up the pass. They need to. They can start off strong with McCaffrey, then they can go into play action, do some rollout stuff like that. But of course, that goes back to the play of the quarterback. I do think Darnold. Darnold's definitely better than Walker when it comes to that. I mean, in the first three games of last season, for 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 all his worth, he was playing decently well. He's he honestly played better than Baker Mayfield this year which is insane to think about, but it's the truth. <laughs> right. He's played better than Baker Mayfield as far as completing passes, and that's that's an insane stat to think about. Uh, when we look at the landscape of, uh, of college football this weekend, of course we have um, Mississippi State and Alabama. I feel bad for Mississippi State because uh, Alabama's going to be PO'd. Uh, to say the least. Wake Forest is hosting Boston College. They're a three-touchdown favorite. Will, I think it's pretty safe to say that if we're betting men, we're going to hammer that 20-and-a-half. Yep. The big one, though, Duke-Miami could be big. We talked about that with Steve Wiseman earlier in the program. Uh, But the big one right here, 14th-ranked Syracuse, 5th-ranked Clemson, 12-noon ABC, uh, the last time Syracuse went in there as a ranked team, Chase Bryce saved Clemson's season. So, Will, this matchup has had its fair share of excitement for the short time that Syracuse has been in the ACC. Oh, yeah, definitely. Of course, it's always good. You got the Tigers who are 7-0 and and the Syracuse who is 6-0. It should be one of those really nice really fun college games that you watch and score like several touchdowns, just go back and forth all day. That should be a really good game to watch. Yeah, it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be a, an old-fashioned quarterback duel between uh, DJ Scrabble and his counterpart on the other side. Uh, but, uh, of course, keep an eye this weekend as well on who I think is the Heisman front runner right now or should be. That's Max Duggan out at TCU. Not enough people are talking about him. Uh, so TCU's on the rise, but... Uh, well, we just got a couple of minutes left here. It feels like every time a Big 12 team is on this upward trajectory, like Oklahoma State last year, they'll get oh so close to being in the playoff conversation or in the playoff and then find a way to blow it. But it's only the Big 12 schools that do it. Like the one Pac-12 school won't screw it up. The one Big 10 school won't screw it up. The one Big 12 school, if it's not Oklahoma, will find a way to blow it. Just Big 12 being Big 12. (laughs) That's the only way to put it. And keep in mind, this is a conference that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving and is adding BYU and Houston and Tulsa and Tulane. I don't know. who They're adding a bunch of people. Will Higdon has also been added to today's Stacked program. Thanks so much. We're unfortunately out of time, but we do appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Will Higdon giving his thoughts. Desmond Johnson giving his thoughts. Steve Wiseman giving his thoughts. Me giving my thoughts. And you giving your thoughts. Honestly, hit us up on Twitter at the score TRSR at Tobacco Radio. That'll do it for this week here on TobaccoRedSportsRadio.com and WWBG 1470 AM. It's been another edition of The Score on TGIF.